The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. There's three I am statements. Uh, The first one that we see in the chapter is actually the third I am statement in the book of John. Uh, I am the good shepherd is the fourth I am statement that Jesus makes uh, in the book of John. But we're going to break it down just by the quotations that Jesus gives. And obviously the focus of the chapter, I... um, uh, last semester in the spring uh, in the college that I teach in, uh, I taught a class called Shepherding, and the whole class curriculum came from John chapter number 10, and it was uh, showing the difference between what a shepherd is, and the whole class is about being a pastor and shepherding, and, and it was a class full of men that felt called to uh, the pastorate, and shepherding and how we're called in First Peter to be like Jesus, and that we be shepherds, and contrasting against what the Bible does as a hireling, and what a hireling is, and what a good shepherd is. But we're going to look at Christ tonight, and that we want to see these three statements. And in this chapter, Jesus chooses to illustrate himself to us by using sheep, shepherds, and sheepfolds. And uh, this would have been um, an, uh, an uncommon profession for us, but common to them. So uh, I don't know if you know anybody that's a shepherd. I don't tonight. Uh, I don't know any shepherds. It's not common. My neighbor is not a shepherd. Uh, for them, it would have been very common for them to know shepherds. Uh, it would been common for them to see shepherds. Uh, there would be places in this country, perhaps, that you could know a shepherd, but uh, not, definitely not here in the Garden States. Not too many places that you know uh, shepherds, uh, not at least in the context that Jesus is talking about. And so these symbols were used by Jesus to help us understand who he is and what he wants to do for us. And so those two things are important for us to know. Who is Jesus? And by the way, John uh, is declaring him to be the Son of God, deity. He is God, and that's the declaration of the book of John. And so who is Jesus? And you can see that asked over and over and over again, who is Jesus? As a matter of fact, as you look at the uh, back half of the chapter, they finally say to Jesus, just tell us, are you the Messiah or not? Are, Are you the Christ or not? We want a straight answer from you. We're tired, about, tired of all these parables. We're tired about all, all these, these illustrations you're giving us. Just give us a straight answer and tell us uh, who you are. And by the way, Jesus had given them plenty of straight answers before, and they didn't believe. But uh, this is kind of uh, what Jesus is using here to explain, again, who he is and what he wants to do for us. And so we're going to approach the chapter tonight by breaking it down to those three declarations that Jesus made about who he is. Number one tonight, I am the door. I am the door. The first 10 verses, Jesus talks about this this fact that he's the door. And uh, in verse number 6, it tells us that Jesus used this parable, which is the same thing as a proverb or a dark saying, this parable to to tell them this. But notice the Bible says they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So he gives them an illustration, and then he gives them an application. They don't understand the illustration So he says, okay, let me give you an application to this illustration so that you can get what I'm trying to say to you. And uh, isn't that kind of a strange statement? I'm the door. I'm the door. Uh, I I mean, of all the I am statements, it's it's probably the one that's most confused. And often in preaching, it's the one that I've heard most used out of context. Because we usually, when we go to this passage, when I've heard people reference this passage, and I've even done it myself, uh, the incorrect interpretation is that the sheepfold is heaven 
And those that try to get in through any other means other than Christ will fail. So I've heard that before. Jesus is the door. The sheepfold is heaven. In order to get to heaven, you've got to come through the Lord Jesus Christ because he's the only door. Now, while that works with John chapter 14 when he says, I'm the way, it doesn't work in interpretation in the context of this chapter. It's not what Jesus is saying. It's not, it's a good application, if you would. It's a good way of kind of supporting the rest of scripture. If you looked at Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, it's a correct statement. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the name of Jesus. He's the only way. We believe that. But that's not the, that's not the interpretation of the passage. And I want to show you that uh, because uh, in studying this out, I thought, boy, sometimes we go to the passage and we have our own idea about what it means before we even read it. You ever do that? You go to the Bible, you have an idea, you interpret the Bible based on your idea. How many know that's, that's poor uh, exegesis? That's, that's a poor way to approach the scriptures. You don't go to the Bible with your own idea. You get your idea from the Bible. Uh, as a pastor, and I, I've admonished other pastors because I've been admonished this way myself. You don't go to the Bible with a message. You come from the Bible with a message. So you don't go, oh, this would be a great message. And, and I, I've seen this before in my youth. have done it. Uh, you, you have a great sermon title. And so then you try to find a bunch of supporting passages for it. And boy, that's a poor way to approach uh, the Word of God. The Bible says to rightly divide the Word of truth. You can't say, I've got an idea. Now let me find scripture to support it. I, I've, got, I've got something that I'd like to say. Now let me find some verses now, there's a lot of things that we would like to say if we were given uh, opportunity to say it, but I have to be reminded uh, tonight that the Bible says to preach the Word. So to preach what the Word says and to get our ideas and to get our interpretations from actually what the Word says. And so uh, while that's a correct statement that Jesus is the only way to heaven, it's not the interpretation of the passage. So here's the correct interpretation as what the passage gives us. The sheepfold is the nation of Israel. And that's what Jesus, Jesus is talking to Jews. He's talking to the nation of Israel. And uh, and look at at chapter 10, verse number 16, because I want to clarify this to you. He says this, and other sheep I have, which are not of what? This fold. So he's talking about the sheep fold. And he said, there's other sheep that I have that are not of this fold. He's talking about that fold that he was mentioning in the first 10 chapters. Which fold is he talking about? He's talking about Israel. He's saying, there's other sheep that I have that are not of this fold, that are not of Israel, that are not of the nation of Israel, and, I, and I'm going to call them too, and they're going to come in, and there's going to eventually, there's going to be one fold, there's going to be one flock, and there's going to be one shepherd. But right now, he's called to the house of Israel, if you would, the nation of Israel. How many know as we look at the book of uh, Acts, Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and preaches a message, but by and large, the people that were there, if not completely there, uh, all that were there were Jews and Jewish proselytes. So these were Jewish people that were following Jewish tradition. And now let me, let me show you uh, this in the scripture because this will help us uh, as we move forward in looking at the passage. Jesus came to the nation of Israel. He came the appointed way just as the scripture promises. Notice what he says. He says, a stranger, verse 5, will they not follow? Notice what he says in verse number, uh, number uh, 4. He says, for, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. Sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of the strangers. Notice what he says in verse number one. I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as the thief and a robber. Jesus said uh, to them, 
that those that came before me, verse 8, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't hear them. And so Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I've come to the sheepfold, the nation of Israel, and I came the appointed way. I came the, the, uh, the prophesied way. I am the Messiah. He's trying to, if, if you would, to these Jews, declare himself to be who the Bible promised would come to them. And Jesus, come on, as we look at Scripture, did Jesus come the right way? Did Jesus come the way the Bible said he would come? Did he enter in the right way? Did he come to Israel the way the Bible said he would come to Israel? And so as we look at uh, the prophecies in the Old Testament, we understand that they were looking for someone to come the wrong way. They weren't looking for someone to come the way the Bible said. They wanted someone to come to free them, to liberate them, but they weren't looking for this Savior who would have to be sacrificed for them. And the Bible clearly lays that out, that there was going to need, the Messiah was going to have to come and he was going to have to be killed. I mean, Isaiah 53 is one of the best passages of scriptures for us understanding that the the Messiah was going to be the lamb. He was going to be a sheep that was led to the slaughter, the Bible says, and uh, who's by his stripes we would be healed. Again, speaking to Israel. He's talking to this, uh, these, these sheep of the house of Israel. And that Jesus came to this nation of Israel. Since the people didn't understand, again, he follows the illustration with application. Look at verses 7 through 10. They didn't understand verse 6. Verily, verily, I send you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door... By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Here, verse, verse 9, if heaven was the sheepfold, we'd have a little bit of a problem because he's talking about going in and he's talking about going out. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I go to in, into heaven, I'm not looking to go out of heaven. So that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about going in and out uh, that way. Notice he says, go in and out to find pasture. And so When you think about who Jesus is in the context of what he's talking about, I'm the door. He says first, I'm the door out. I'm the door out. Well, if the sheepfold is Israel, the Israelites were going to need a a way out of Judaism. They needed a way out of the law. They needed a way out of the Old Testament commandments. They needed a way out of all these Jewish traditions and practices. And Jesus was the door out. If you notice in the previous passage, the blind man, what did they do with the blind man? Jesus healed him. He professed Christ. He was in the synagogue. What did they do with him? They kicked him out. They said, you're out. You're out of here. You're no longer welcome here. His own parents didn't want to agree with him, side with him, even even say the name of Jesus because they were afraid they too were going to get kicked out. To get kicked out of the synagogue, that's kind of like they excommunicated him. They kicked him out. If you could not fellowship, you could not come to the synagogue, you couldn't practice Judaism. You couldn't, you could, I mean, you couldn't do that. They were throwing him, thrusting him out. And by the way, you know what his ticket out was? His ticket out was Jesus. Jesus was the reason why he got out. And Jesus also, if you remember, he brought him in. He brought him into that, that flock that he's, that he's talking about. Jesus makes it possible for the sheep to leave the fold, the Jewish religion, and to enter his flock. You have to come out of the sheepfold to go to where the flock is. If you think about the the context of the illustration, uh, it was common in their day. A sheepfold was kind of a place where all the sheep were gathered in at night. Uh, They would have an opening to it. It was common for them to have multiple different flocks inside a sheepfold. And what would happen is in the morning, there would be a porter that would watch over the sheep at night, or the shepherd would simply lay in the doorway in the opening. There wasn't a physical door. 
somebody would lay in the doorway in the opening. It was kind of a rough, hedged out or rocked out uh, uh, place where they would hold the sheep for protection at night. And then the shepherds would come and they would call for their sheep. And the shepherds would, would call and the sheep that were theirs, they didn't have to go and say, oh, that's my sheep, that's my sheep, that's my sheep. The sheep knew their voice because that was their shepherd and they followed their shepherd. It's interesting because if you see this happen, there would be three or four flocks inside of a sheepfold or how many they could get into the sheepfold. And the shepherd would be outside and he would call his sheep and the sheep would come running out and they would run to their own shepherd. And they would go to their shepherd. They wouldn't go to somebody else's shepherd because that's what sheep do. That's how they were trained. That's what, and you, you see the illustration now, what Jesus is saying. I'm calling you out of the sheepfold. My sheep know my voice. They know. They know me. They, they come to me. Uh, in, in, in the previous chapter, again, the Pharisees threw the blind beggar out of the synagogue because of Jesus. But Jesus led him into the flock of God. So not only is he the door out, but he's also the door in. He says to go out and to come in, to find pasture. So he brings us out. He brought them out, the, the nation of Israel. He was there. The Messiah, was he not there to bring them out of Judaism? Isn't that why Jesus was there? He was there to deliver them from Judaism. He was there to deliver them from all of that, all of that law, the Old Testament stuff. Jesus came and fulfilled, them, uh, fulfilled those laws. He delivered them from those things. He called them out of that, and he called them into something. Isn't it interesting, even in Deuteronomy, he brought us out that he might bring us in. He brought us out that he might bring us in. It's the same thing. Uh, in the nation of Israel, he brought them out of slavery so that he might bring them into blessing. He brought them out of Egypt so he might bring them into the land of promise. That's the good shepherd. That's the, he says, I'm the door, I'm the door in, and I'm the door out. I'm the way out of this. Uh, the only way for them to break Jewish tradition and practices for them were, was for them to receive Christ. And here's the point. Acts chapter 2, those Jews, those initial Christians at Pentecost who were Jewish, they formed a, 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 a church. The church was born right at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 2. Remember this? Holy Spirit comes down. It's not long before they start to struggle. And their issue is Gentiles. Gentiles can't be part of the church until they become Jews. And so what they were doing was they were trying to proselyte people into the Jewish faith for them to be part of the Christian church. And, 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 and Jesus stepped in uh, as far as using his disciples. The apostles had to come. And God had to show some things to the apostles, didn't he? Peter struggled with this. Peter struggled initially with the Gentiles, just like, the, just like all these Jews did. Could you imagine this? This was something that was ingrained in them. This was something they were, they were taught. This is something they grew up as. Listen, they didn't talk to people who were not Jewish. They didn't, do, they didn't interact with people uh, who, who were not Jewish. Now, did Jesus do that? No, we see the women at the well. We see instance after instance where Jesus had no problem talking to someone who wasn't Jewish, uh, giving the gospel to someone who wasn't Jewish, uh, and we see that. We see that process uh, there. Jesus is introducing, and then in the book of Acts, boy, we see it explode because Gentiles, there starts to be revival among the Gentiles, and then the message is clear. In order for someone to come to Christ, do they need to be a Jew? In order for someone to come to Christ, do they need to join the Jewish faith or Jewish religion? No. And so he's the door out. He's also the door in. John chapter 10 and verse number 9. I'm the door 
by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved. What is he the door into? Salvation. He's the door into salvation. He says, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Uh, He's the door into salvation. The shepherd, uh, by the way, this illustration becomes even more powerful than when we realize that the shepherd and the door are the same. Meaning, again, there's no door like what we're talking about walking through a door. The shepherd lays in the door. The shepherd is the door. The shepherd is the one who lays in the door. He's the one that protects the sheep. He's the one that keeps them in the fold. He's the one that brings them out of the fold. He's the door. And notice what the shepherd does. The shepherd goes in and out through the door. The shepherd doesn't climb over the wall. The shepherd doesn't have a need to come in and sneak in because those that are not shepherds, those that are not uh, truly uh, those that are called of God or sent by God, they come and they steal the sheep away. They come to destroy the sheep. They don't come to lead the sheep. And notice what Jesus said he, he, in, in verse, number, uh, verse number eight, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. Jesus is not talking about the prophets. Jesus is not talking about, notice, notice what he says in verse, in, verse number, um, in verse number eight. He says, are thieves, present tense. Uh, it gives us kind of the understanding that Jesus is talking about the religious people of his day. Those people that are there, um, the, the people, the Pharisees that dealt with the blind beggar, thieves and robbers. That's what Jesus is saying, thieves and robbers. When he went into the synagogue, what did he just do? He overturned the money changers' tables. What do you call them? Thieves, robbers. You're thieves, you're robbers. You're, you're coming in by some other way. You're trying, to, you're trying to usher in salvation through another door, through another way. You're coming in, you're abusing the sheep, you're stealing the sheep. You're not the true shepherd. In other words, Jesus is saying, this religion is not the way. This is not the way. When Jesus uh, healed on the Sabbath, what was he saying to them? Your religion is not the way. When, when Jesus did the things that agitated him, uh, Jesus never broke God's law, but he did break a lot of theirs, didn't he? What is he saying? Your way is not the way. I'm the way. I'm the door. And notice, I'm the door in. I'm the door out. I'm the door in. So the shepherd is the door. As the door, Jesus leads sinners out of bondage, and he leads sinners into freedom. All those come before, they are thieves and robbers. Uh, they, they, uh, they steal, abuse, they exploit God's sheep. The door allows the sheep safe passage both in and out to, to pasture. Uh, so number one, I'm the door. Number two, let's look at the second statement, verses 11 through 21. Jesus introduces uh, another statement about himself. Again, this is the fourth I am in the book of John. He says this, I am the good shepherd. It's one of the most popular statements that Jesus makes. Uh, and one that we appreciate. Listen, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Is this an uncommon illustration? The Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. I am the good shepherd. Jesus is identifying him as, himself as, the Lord. You see that? The Lord, Psalm 23, they would have known, the Lord is my shepherd. David told them that. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus, I am the shepherd. I am the Lord. I am that shepherd. I'm the shepherd, Psalm 23, uh, who leads you beside the still waters. I'm the shepherd who protects you. I'm the shepherd who who gives you pasture. I'm that shepherd. I'm the prophesied one from the Old Testament. I'm the good shepherd. Notice the word good. Aren't you glad that he said good shepherd? Good shepherd. Not just I am a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. But think about this. I am the good shepherd, good, as a contrast to hireling. 
in, in the passage, what does he contrast the good shepherd against? A hireling. I'm a good shepherd. I'm not a hireling. Uh, good as can be safely followed. I'm good. I'm a good shepherd. You can safely follow me. You can trust in me. I'm not going to lead you astray. A good shepherd can be safely imitated. Come on, think about this. Uh, you can imitate me. You can follow in my steps. You are safe and secure by following me. You know what? He was making a statement because those that were following those Pharisees, they weren't safe following them. They weren't secure following them. They weren't safe in imitating them. And by the way, isn't that what they put out? Those Pharisees were saying, imitate us. Imitate us. We're the standard. We're the ones. Didn't he even tell Jesus that? You should be acting like us. You should be doing what we're doing. You should be following our practices. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I'm the shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm the one that's good. Uh, let me uh, give you some statements that he makes about the good shepherd. Verse, verse number 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd what? Giveth his life for the sheep. So he gives his life for the sheep. Verse number 11. He gives his life for the sheep. Think about that. In the Old Testament, the shepherd took the lives of the sheep. In the Old Testament, the sheep were used as a sacrifice by the shepherd. Were they not? The shepherds would take their, I mean, even go back to Genesis. Uh, what was Abel? It's a shepherd. Abel was a shepherd. What did he do? He took the best lamb that he had, and what did he do? He killed it, sacrificed it. So in the Old Testament, the shepherds would take their sheep, and they would sacrifice their sheep. Think about this good shepherd. This is a role reversal. Now the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This, this shepherd doesn't take the lives of the sheep. He doesn't sacrifice the lives of the sheep. This New Testament shepherd, the Old Testament shepherd sacrificed the lives of the sheep. The New Testament shepherd gives his life for the sheep. He values his sheep's lives over his own life. He sacrifices his life for the sheep. Boy, that's a role reversal. He's saying the sheep are more valuable than my own life. I'm willing to lay my own life down for the sheep. He giveth his life for the sheep. Uh, you know what? If you want to know whether or not you are following the shepherd, whether you are like the good shepherd, whether you, you in your leadership, God has given us each of us roles and responsibilities of spiritual leadership. We all have people that are following us. If you want to know what shepherd you emulate, how do you treat the sheep? How do you treat the sheep? Those that follow you, do you sacrifice them for your own causes and own goods? Or do you sacrifice yourself for them? If we're like Christ, what do we do? We give ourselves, we sacrifice ourselves for the sheep. Uh, in, in 1 Peter, uh, Peter uses this same illustration to describe the office of a pastor. We know the pastor uh, is, is uh, used uh, a bishop. Uh, that's, a, that's one of the uh, elder. Those are interchangeable words in the New Testament talking about the office of a pastor because the pastor's uh, office is described in different ways. But my favorite is shepherd. That's my favorite. Because that's the one that to me is, is saying, follow the leadership of Christ. Be like Christ. By the way, Peter said, when the chief shepherd shall appear, he's going to look to the under shepherd. 
Were you like me? Did you give your life for the sheep? Did you sacrifice yourself uh, for the sheep? So notice he gives his life for the sheep. I don't know about you, but I want to be like the good shepherd tonight. I want to be like the good shepherd. Give my life uh, for others. Sacrifice myself, my own desires and wants. I'm, uh, listen, as a parent, don't you want to be like the good shepherd? Sacrifice. Self, what do we do? We do that for our kids. That's a good parent, isn't it? A good parent doesn't use their kids for themselves. A good parent uh, uh, uses themselves for their children. Uh, anybody who's in a leadership position of spiritual leadership could take this, this role and say, hey, listen, no matter whether I'm leading people in my job or I'm leading uh, in my marriage or I'm leading uh, my children, uh, whatever area God's given me leadership, I need to give myself for people. How do you treat the sheep? Uh, not, not only does he give his life for the sheep, but number two, he knows the sheep. He knows the sheep. Uh, by the way, uh, this word know in the Bible, and we could go to various cross-references uh, that use the same word here, know, it doesn't just mean intellectual knowledge, it means intimate knowledge. To know someone, Jesus is not saying, I just know them, I know them intellectually. He knows us intellectually, he knows about us, but he knows us intimately. That's how Jesus knows us, he knows the intimate details of, of our life. Think about this, he knows your name. He says, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Notice what he says, verse 14. I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep. I know my sheep. And I'm known of mine. I know them and they know me. I know them and they know me. Not just intellectually, but, but intimately. Think about this. Uh, in your relationship with Christ, would you describe your relationship to Christ as intellectual or intimate? Because it shouldn't just be intellectual. That's not what Jesus is saying, just know about me. He's saying know me. How many know there's a difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone? It's a big difference. You could read an autobiography about someone and know about someone, but not know that person. You know, knowing someone intimately, that, that invokes relationship, doesn't it? It's not just you know Relatively, relatively know uh, someone, you relationally know him. And by the way, anybody who we see in the New Testament who truly is a believer, they have a desire to know Christ. Desire to know Christ. I want to know him in a deeper sense. I want to know him more than I know him. Come on. I want to know, the Bible says one day I'm going to know him even as also I am known of him. I'm going to one day know him as I'm known. Uh, I don't know him that way. But I'm growing in my, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word know again is not talking about growing in knowledge intellectually about Christ. It's talking about growing in intimacy with Christ. Grow in grace, grow in knowing. Grow in grace, grow in knowing. Listen, if you grow in grace, you will grow more intimate with Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want more intimacy with Christ in my life. I don't need more intellectual knowledge about Jesus. Are you with me? I'm saying I'm all for knowing more things intellectually, but I don't need more intellectual knowledge about Christ. I've been given a whole life of intellectual knowledge about Christ. But there came a point in time in my life where I decided I want an intimate knowledge of Christ and not an intellectual knowledge of Christ. And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Hey, listen, when we first meet Christ, 
There's somewhat of just this intellectual knowledge about kind of assertion to who he is. I believe who he is. But listen, I want to intimately know the Savior because he intimately knows me. Um, It would be sad uh, for intimacy to be one way, wouldn't it? That's That's not a way for a relationship to be built. Intimacy can't be one way. But notice Jesus says, I'm intimate with you. I know you. But you know what? Some people, they act like they don't know him. I don't know him. I'm I'm not familiar with him. Um, Familiarity with Christ. Um, When you're intimate with someone, do you struggle with speaking to them? No. Intimacy uh, uh, invokes communication, doesn't it? When I'm intimate, I can communicate. When I'm intimate, I trust. When I'm intimate, I'm able to expose, be transparent. Listen, if if you're finding yourself in your relationship with Christ... Lacking transparency. If you're finding yourself in your relationship with Christ lacking communication, come on, isn't this some of these things that we struggle with, with our relationship with Christ? Communication, trust. We need intimacy, don't we? Come on, we need to fall in love with Jesus, and we need to, we need to allow him to be the lover of our soul. That's what the Bible is saying. That's Jesus saying, that's what I want to be. Some people just are, they seem satisfied with more intellectual knowledge about Jesus, but no intimacy. Intimacy is what's needed to grow. I've got to grow. Listen, uh, no relationship, no relationship will grow without intimacy. No relationship. There needs to be intimacy in order to grow. As as a matter of fact, what you see in most marital problems is a lack of intimacy, and so you have a lack of growth. Uh, They grow apart instead of growing together. Don't we need to grow together? Uh, As God's church, shouldn't we be growing together? The only way for us to grow together as God's church is us to grow more intimate with Christ together. So if we all grow closer to the Lord in intimacy, guess what's going to happen? We're going to grow in God's grace and knowledge. Jesus said that. He said, I know my sheep. They are known. I'm known of them. I'm known of them. Intimacy. Uh, We need intimacy with Christ. He knows the sheep. He knows your name. Identity. Identity. Um, Did he give us a new identity? He did. What was our identity before Christ? Our identity before Christ was whatever the identity that we found in the world. In other words, we were were self-made, whatever our identity was. uh, uh, And by the way, sometimes we struggle with this because sometimes the Lord allows our identity to be destroyed so that he can give us that new one. In other words, um, our family knows us a certain way before Christ. Uh, um, our coworkers know us a certain way before Christ. Our friends know us a certain way before Christ. You with me? And then after Christ, what happens? That whole thing gets blown up. Now our friends, they seem like, I don't even know you anymore. Come on, some of you have heard this since you've been saved. I don't even know you anymore. You don't act the same way anymore. You don't do the same things anymore. And so if you're not careful as a new Christian, you'll struggle because you're trying to hold on to that old identity and here's what God says, let it go. Let it go. I've given you a new identity. Your identity is now you're my sheep. You're my child. You belong to me. You don't belong there anymore. You belong here. You're not part of that fold. You're not part of that flock. I brought you out so that I could bring you in. I'm the door. Now I'm your shepherd. Follow me. And so he, he's telling us, uh, uh, in, in, I know your name. Not only does he know our name, but he knows our nature. He knows our nature. Think about that. He knows what we're prone to. Aren't you glad, uh, like a good shepherd, uh, a good shepherd knows what sheep um, 
uh, struggle with wandering? There's, there's always, there's always a sh- one, of the, one, one or two or three uh, sheep in the fold that he's got to take extra. Some of you know with your kids, <laughs> it's the same way. You know, there's a couple of them that, you know, they're good at following. But if you go to the mall, there's always one of them that, you know, you're like, there he goes again. There he goes again. Some are prone to wander, aren't they? It's just uh, some are, are prone to fear. Come on. Uh, he knows which ones are afraid of high places. Uh, he knows uh, the ones that kind of fear going over the, the, the rocks or crossing the water. Uh, he, he knows the ones that are afraid. He, he knows when to, to scoop them up and to carry them. Uh, he knows uh, when to prod them gently uh, with the staff. He, he knows when to uh, come alongside and say, okay, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. We're going to go at this together. Come on. Aren't you glad that he knows our nature? He knows our nature. Uh, by the way, um, there's uniqueness there, isn't it? Because in the flock, there's sheep that have different qualities and characteristics. Aren't you glad that God didn't make us all to be the same? He didn't make us to be the same. We have different qualities. We have different characteristics. And God's okay with that as long as we all follow. We have to keep following. Uh, Not only does he know our nature, but he knows that we have that old nature, doesn't he? Uh, Is something interesting about a sheep. Sheep have a duality of nature. They have a proneness to wander, and they have, a, they, have a, uh, they have kind of an innate uh, ability to follow. Sheep just are following. They're herding. They're, I mean, it's, they're easier to herd than other animals. Uh, you can't herd dogs, uh, you know, not as well as you could sheep. Uh, dogs have independency. Uh, you're not going to, you know, sometimes, they, you know, there's, there's packs. But even in the packs, you're not herding them. Uh, it's not an animal that you herd. Uh, cattle you can herd, sheep you can herd. Sheep are probably the easiest to herd. Uh, they have this nature to follow, but they also have this nature to wander. There's a duality in their nature. Don't we have that same characteristic? Some of us know that we, we want to follow Jesus and we're following Jesus, but then also sometimes we wander, right? And, and he knows us. He knows our nature. Uh, not only does he know our name, our identity, he knows our nature. He knows our needs. He knows our needs. Does he, does he know what we need? I bring you in, I bring you out to bring you in so that I can bring you to pasture. Why does the shepherd lead the sheep from the fold? So that he can bring them to a place where they can eat. So he can bring them to a place where, that's what would happen daily uh, uh, for the sheep. The, the shepherd would go to the fold. He would, bring, he would bring the sheep out and he would bring them to, a, and notice what he says, to find pasture. I, I, I'll bring you in, I'll bring you out so I can bring you in. Uh, so that you can find pasture. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. He maketh me. He leadeth me. Uh, that, that's our Lord. I am, uh, he says, the good shepherd. Uh, he knows your name. He knows your nature. He knows your needs. As the good shepherd cares for the sheep, the sheep simultaneously grow in their knowledge, love, and care for him. So it ends up, I know you, and it ends up, you know me. That's what he's trying to do. You know what the Lord's trying to do in your life right now? He's trying to get you to know him. He wants you to know him. He's, he's gone to great lengths for you to know him. Has he revealed himself to us? He's shown himself to us. He, he's saying, he's inviting us, please get to know me. Please, I want to care for you. I want to supply your needs. You trust me, follow me so that you can know me. You know, the more uh, I know Jesus, the more I love Jesus. The more I know him, the more I love him. The more I know him, the more I trust him. The more I know him the less I lean on my own understanding. The more I know him, the more I know he knows what's best. You know, sometimes uh, 
Uh, we know the problem is that sometimes believers, they just are not growing in their knowledge. Uh, you know, we need to grow in grace and knowledge. Uh, notice the contrast here, verses 12 and 13. He, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I give my life. I know the sheep. Verses 12 and 13, the hireling. The hireling is the anti-shepherd. The hireling is the opposite of the shepherd. The hireling looks like the shepherd, but he doesn't act like the shepherd. The hireling looks like the shepherd, but doesn't have the qualities of shepherd. The hireling pretends to be a shepherd, but the hireling is not motivated by the same means that the shepherd is motivated. The hireling is, is motivated only to take. The hireling is only there for himself. The, the hireling is there, and by the way, uh, in the presentation to uh, men that are studying ministry in the class, I said, I, I want to be a good shepherd. I don't want to be a hireling. I don't want to be a hireling. Uh, you know, it's easy to be a hireling because our culture teaches us to naturally be hirelings. In other words, what's in it for me? If I'm not getting my, if, 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 if you're not living up to your end of the bargain, I don't need to do mine. You with me? If you're not doing what you should do, then I don't need to do mine. By the way, I, I don't want to live that way in any relationship that I have, let alone pastor. Uh, if, the, if the church doesn't do this, then I'm not going to do my job. If, if, this, if I'm not being treated this way, then I'm not going to, no, that, that's not Christ-like. The hireling, by the way, that's not leadership. That's following. That's, that's, that's uh, vindictiveness. That's, that's, I'm only going to do for those that do for me. And then Jesus' answer to that, what thank have ye? What, what thank have ye if you're kind to those that are kind to you? What thank have ye if you're good to those that are good to you? What thank have ye if you love those that love you? How are you like me? Uh, when we're reviled, do we, when we revile again, do, when we suffer, do we threaten? You know what uh, those that are in Christ do when they're persecuted? They're kind. When they're cursed, they bless. Uh, when they're hated, they love. Listen, that's how we know we're behaving like Christ. D- does he tell us it's going to happen to us? Yes, he guarantees it. But then he tells us, this is how I respond. This is how you need to respond. Notice the hireling. He has no ownership. He has no ownership. Verse number 12. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, whose own the sheep are not, he has no ownership. He takes no ownership. He has no ownership. He has, he doesn't own uh, the sheep. He doesn't own, uh, he's a thief. He takes what isn't his. He takes what isn't his. He's a thief. Uh, By the way, that's a poor way to live life. He takes what isn't his. Uh, By the way, I don't know uh, too many people that have any respect for a thief. Someone who steals. They take what's not theirs. They take things. By the way, uh, that's not the way Christians are supposed to live life. We're supposed to give. You know, know, uh, not only uh, is he on the take, but he's taking what's not his. Uh, he, He has no ownership. Number two, he accepts no responsibility. He's a coward. He's a coward. He accepts no responsibility. Notice, uh, he, he's a hireling. He, whose own the sheep or not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. The shepherd has one job. Lead the sheep. Lead the sheep. Stay with the sheep. You, what's a shepherd with no sheep? Well, he's not a shepherd. So what happens? Uh, a wolf comes and he runs. He flees. Notice he values his own life over the lives of the sheep. By the way, so well, of course, 
The, the shepherd's much more valuable. What, what's the big deal if you lose a sheep to a wolf? Let me give you an illustration. Who in the Bible lost a sheep to a lion, lost a sheep to a bear? David. What did David do when the lion snatched up one of his sheep? He chased it. He chased the lion? What in the world? I don't know about you, but that's not high on my list of things to do. Chasing a lion. The Bible tells us the enemy, he's a roaring lion. He's seeking whom he may devour. What did David do with that lion? The Bible says he caught the lion by the beard. He opens the mouth of the lion. He takes his sheep back, and then he kills the lion. That's a good shepherd. That's a good that's the that's the kind of shepherd I want watching my sheep. Now I know why he was out there. Now I know why they chose him to do that. David, he's a good shepherd, a type of Christ as a shepherd. Of the bear comes, and by the way, notice his confidence. When Goliath comes to Israel, how did David perceive Goliath to be? As the lion, as the bear. You know, David, because he learned to shepherd sheep, could shepherd Israel. He could be the king in leadership because he was godly in the way he he shepherded sheep and he would be godly. Notice when Goliath came, he said, as I slew the lion and the bear, I I will slay Goliath. Because you know what he saw? He saw Goliath as being someone to come to take away one of his sheep, capture one of his sheep. He, he loved the sheep. He gave his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus did for us, didn't he? Come on, did he snatch us from the lion's mouth? Did he snatch us from the wolves? He did. That's what he did for us. But notice this hireling, he's a coward. He accepts no responsibility. When he sees danger, he runs. When he has adversity, he runs. One of the, uh, the great tests of leadership is adversity. What do you do when you're challenged? What do you do when adversity comes? What do you do when trouble comes? Do you run from trouble? Do you run from those that come to attack? Or do you run at them? You know, a a good shepherd says, I'm giving my life for the sheep. You with me tonight? I'm going to protect what God has given me. Accepts no no responsibility to hire Has no compassion. He has no compassion. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about his job. He doesn't care about his responsibility. He's a thief. He's a coward. He's a liar. He's pretending to care, but he doesn't really care. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not a hireling. I'm the good shepherd. You can trust me. You can follow me. I'm good. I'm contrasted to the shepherd. I can be safely followed. I can be safely imitated. And then lastly tonight, I am the son of God. I'm the son of God. Uh, If you look at what Jesus says uh, in verse number 30, he says, I and the Father are one. In verse number 36, he says, I am the Son of God. Uh, he says it uh, uh, more than once in, in, the, in the passage of Scripture. He says, I'm the Son of God. I'm the one. Uh, when you go to verse number 22, uh, there's, there's two and a half months uh, break in this chapter. When you re- read verse 21, you go to verse 22, that's two and a half months later. It's not in succession. It didn't just happen right after that. But if you look at verse number 22, it says, And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of the Dedication. By the way, that's Hanukkah, the Festival of Lights. That's what what this is, a commemoration, uh, a a, a holiday around December. Uh, It's kind of when we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
uh, and uh, this is the time that they're celebrating. This is two and a half months later after this time. But because it fits in to what Jesus is saying illustratively, the Holy Spirit places it right here for us. It's, he, he wants us to read it in the same context, even though there's time uh, that's passed. And he says, he says this, they confront him and they demand an answer from him. Look, look at it. Jesus walked in the temple into Solomon's porch, verse 23. The Jews come round about him. They said unto him, how long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. So they, there's, this, there's this encounter. Uh, there's this confrontation. They circle around him and they say, tell us plainly. Are you the Christ or not? Who are you? Uh, speak to us. Jesus says to them, verse 25, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He says, I am the Son of God. They confront Jesus. He says, I've already told you. Notice he goes from I'm the shepherd to I'm the son. I want you to see this. I'm the son. Those that believe this are secure. If you believe that I'm the son, you're secure. Notice what he says. He says, it's a secure gift. He tells them, I give unto them eternal life. It's a gift. Eternal life is a gift of God, not of works, the Bible says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans tells us this. So we understand this eternal life is a gift from God. It's, it's a secure gift. It's been secured by who? By the, by the one who bought it. Jesus is the one who secured our pardon. He secured our, our salvation. He offers the gift. How many of us know that gift is not of works? It's not dependent on our performance. So let me, let's just be clear on this. You didn't earn the gift, so you can't lose the gift. Because this is something that people struggle with because they don't get a grasp on Scripture. The Bible's clear. He gives the gift. He bought the gift. There's no taking the gift back. He doesn't give the gift and then take it away. Jesus is not an Indian giver. <laughs> he doesn't buy a gift for someone, give it to them, and say, oh, I'm going to take it away. You're not worthy of the gift. Can I ask you a question? Do you give a gift to someone because they're worthy of a gift, or do you give a gift to someone because you love them? True gift giving is not about the person being worthy of the gift. I'm not buying Christmas presents for my kids because they're naughty or nice. I'm buying uh, Christmas presents for my kids because I'm a good father and I love them. That's why. That's why we do that. By the way, gift giving is very much so biblical because God is the giver of gifts. Every perfect gift comes from above. That's what the Bible tells us. Every good and every perfect gift. Who gives gifts? God gives gifts. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. We don't give gifts because they're worthy of the gifts. We give gifts because we're good fathers. We give gifts because we're good parents. That's what Jesus said. He said, if, if people who are wicked can give gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly father give gifts to those that ask of him? So you know what? When your kids come, I, I went last night and there was a little thing on, on my door from one of my daughters. These, these things, and, and on the top of her list was something that was really odd, and I was like, what in the world? You know, what does she want that for? It doesn't even really matter why she wants... Can you imagine what, what God sometimes... What do they want that for? What do they want that for? Why are they asking me for that? 
Some of the things we ask God for, we're like little children, aren't we? God, can you please, can you please, can you please? He's like, what in the world do you want that for? Sometimes we ask God for things that, that's pavement in heaven, right? Gold. <laughs> you know, it's what they pave the streets with up there. They want pavement. You know, what, what do they want that for? What, what use do you have for these things? So he's a good father, though, isn't he? He gives gifts unto them that ask him, he says. So he's a good father. He gives gifts. Notice he secures the gifts. He doesn't take the gifts away, does he? So salvation is a gift that he gives, but he doesn't take back. By the way, be secure in that. Because there's so many Christians that wonder, oh, God gave it to me. Is he going to take it away from me? If it, if it wasn't about you being good to get it, then it's not about you being good to keep it. It's not about you being good at all. It's about him being good. It speaks to the nature of the one that gives, not to the nature of the one that receives. And so he's saying it's a secure gift. This life is a gift. It's by grace through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. Not only is it a secure gift, but it's a secure promise. And we've got to wrap up. A, a secure promise. A secure promise. A promise given. Notice what he says. I give unto them eternal life. There's the gift. And they shall never what? They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Do you see that? Hey, listen, you want to have security tonight? Read that and meditate on that. I give you the gift of eternal life. If you've received the gift of the eternal life, you will never perish and nobody can pluck you out of my hand. Security is in Christ, not in yourself. If you're looking for personal security, you're not going to find it. There's no security in your heart. There's no security in your mind. Peace is not something you drum up in yourself. Peace is something that comes from Christ. It's embracing what Christ has given you, understanding that you didn't deserve it to begin with, but that he's so good that he's given you the gift of eternal life, and he's never going to let you fall. He's never going to let you perish. He's never going to let you go. I'm holding on to you, and you can't be gone. It doesn't matter. Listen, I don't know about you, but knowing that makes me want to love him and serve him more, not less. Some people are afraid. They're like, if you tell people that, it's not about what they do, then they're just going to go out and do whatever they want. Not if they understand this. Not if they understand this. I don't want to hurt the person that loves me that much. I want to love them like they love me. If, he, if, he, if he's willing to love me that way, I don't want to go out and take advantage of that. I want to, I want to live in that. I want, to, I want to breathe in that. I, I want to be free in that. And the freedom in Christ that we have is, is tremendous. Jesus makes these promises to real sheep, not merely those professing to be so. Can I say this tonight? Jesus is not giving security to counterfeit sheep. He's giving security to real sheep. He was clear here. My sheep. This is the security they have. Don't have false security. If you're not a believer tonight, if there's never been a time where you've trusted in Christ, this doesn't apply to you yet until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved. Some people like to take the promises before they ever receive the gift. You can't take the promise of heaven and being God's child and having the benefits until you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you've been born again. These gifts are not to those, this security is not to those that are not in Christ. This security to those are, that are in Christ. Counterfeit shepherds are hirelings. Counterfeit sheep are hypocrites. Counterfeit shepherds are hirelings. Counterfeit sheep are hypocrites. People that say one thing and do another. People that say they are something and live another way. That's a counterfeit sheep. Uh, look at 2 Peter 2.20. We've got we've to hurry. I know. I just want to, I want you to see this as we close this out. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 20. As much as he's called a sheep, 
Uh, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the animals referenced here. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see this? For after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse than, with them than the beginning, for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they had known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog, not the sheep, the dog is turned to his own vomit, and the sow, that's the pig, that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. What's he saying? The dog and the pig go back to their sin. The sheep follow the shepherd. So, you know this whole thing that people have this dialogue of people that are saved and they, they were saved and now they're not saved? No, they, they were never saved. That's what the Bible says. They were never saved. They were never believers. Someone who returns to that life and rejects the life that's been given, they say they received eternal life, but they had the knowledge of the Savior, they had the knowledge of salvation, they had the knowledge of Christ, but then they turned away from that knowledge. Read Romans chapter 1 and see people who knew God, glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their foolish... Hey, listen, look at the progression of that. It would have been better for them not to have known the way than to know the way and reject the way. That's what he's saying. It'd be better for them not to even know the way than to know the way and reject the way, to fall away from the way. Uh, Listen, uh, these Jews, it would have been better for them not to have known. Their end, destruction. Their God, their belly. I mean, their own way. The dog and the pig go back to their sins. The true sheep hears the shepherd's voice. The true sheep follows the shepherd. The true sheep may at times bite, but doesn't devour other sheep. You think about uh, sheep. Do they bite? I don't really want to find out, but they look like they do. And I've seen them nip and all that kind of stuff. I don't really like putting my hand near animals' mouths to figure out whether they're going to bite me or not. But I know something about animals well enough to know, and I've been around different animals to know, and I've been on farms to know that they do nip and they do bite. But sheep don't eat other sheep. You know what eats other sheep? Wolves in sheep's clothing. So you want to know if somebody's a sheep or not. If they're devouring other sheep, they're not sheep. They're wolves. Because sheep don't eat other sheep. They may nip at, they may bite, they may, they may get cantankerous at times, they may be ornery at times, they may be difficult to deal with at times, but they don't eat other sheep. Wolves devour sheep. And the Bible warns us against wolves in sheep clothing because they enter into the church. And what they do is they don't act like sheep. They act like wolves. They eat the sheep. They devour the sheep. They lead the sheep astray for the point of devouring, for destroying them. You say, uh, we're, we're uh, immune from this. No, we're not. We need to be careful because there's people that enter in unawares as wolves in sheep clothing and they eat the flock. You know what one of the shepherd's jobs is? To chase them away. And sometimes that's difficult as you get accused of being unloving, as you get accused of being unforgiving, as you get accused... No, sometimes it just means that they're a wolf and they need to be driven away. Because I'm not going to allow them to devour the flock. If you see somebody who's devouring the flock, good indication, not a sheep. Sheep don't devour other sheep. Um, God promises security to sheep... Notice verse number 30. I and the Father are one. One in essence, not person. He's a different person, 
but he's one in essence with the Father. He is God, as the Father is God. He's God, but he's God the Son. I am the Son, he says, verse 36. I am the Son. Notice the difference. God the Father set me apart. He sanctified me, and he sent me. That's the indication that I'm the only begotten Son. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. I am stating I am as you. There's a dual uh, uh, underlying uh, proof that he's Christ. God the Father set me apart. He sanctified me. God the Father sent me, and I'm stating that I am he. That's what he's saying. Jesus invites them to believe. Notice. Notice what he says. What does he do here? Does he invite them to believe or not? He invites them to believe. He says, he says, believe on me. Many good works have I showed you. Believe on my works. Jesus answered, for a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Jesus says, I am the son of God. If I do the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not me, believe the works. Notice that ye may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. And notice their response. Jesus invites them to believe. He invites them to respond. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. But they reject his word. They try to stone him in verse number 31. They try to arrest him in verse number 39, but they could not. They couldn't. Here's the truth tonight. If you reject God, you can't kill God. If you reject God, you can't discredit God. If you reject God, you can't lock God up away from others. You, you can't, and listen, by the way, those that reject God try to do those things. They try to kill him. They try to discredit him. They try to lock him away so others can't believe in him. But you can't do that. You can't. Jesus is pretty clear here. You can't lock me away. You can't discredit me. You're not going to do away with me. God's will is going to be done. Jesus takes the message to the common people later. Notice, he goes away, verse 40, beyond Jordan, the place where John at first baptized He goes back to these common people who want to hear it. Notice verse number 42, and many believed on him there. Look at that. Many people believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes and he preaches the message to these common people. These Pharisees, they didn't want to believe. They didn't want to receive. They didn't want what he had. But he goes to where John was. See the fruit from John's ministry even after John's death. He goes back where John preached and he preaches to these people and they believe on him. The Bible says many believe, and they're saved. Here's the question for you tonight. Have you responded to his I am statements? Have you entered into the door and been saved? Have you heard the shepherd's voice and answered his call? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as the only begotten son and been born again? That's the way to claim that security. If you've come in through another way, if you come in through another door, hey, he's the door. You can't follow any other teaching, practice. You need to know his voice. You need to follow him. And he's the only name. He's the only name to be saved. He's Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord is Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not talking about more intellectual knowledge tonight. I'm talking about there's been a time in your life where you said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm not bringing my religion. I'm not bringing my good works. I'm not thinking that it's because I'm good. He's offering me a gift. I'm receiving the gift that he freely offers me. Have you ever received the gift of eternal life? If you've never received it, you can tonight. He says, that easy. Yes, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
If you'll call on his name, how do we call on him? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, if you believe in your heart, what do you have to believe in your heart? That he's the son of God, that he's the good shepherd, that he is who he says he is. Notice the people here didn't believe that, but then the people that did believe that, they were saved. You know, if, if you'll believe that, the Bible says you can be saved. And by the way, you'll know it because you'll hear that voice, not my voice tonight. There's another voice, isn't there? You know, when you hear that other voice, that voice within, that's the Holy Spirit of God working on your conscience. He's working within. He's the witness within. He's taking the word of God. He's doing that work. If that work is being done in your heart, don't push back. It's hard to push against the pricks, Paul. <laughs> the conviction, the conviction's there. If the conviction's there, respond to it. If you're hearing the word and you're hearing God, the gospel and you're hearing that and the Holy Spirit's pricking your heart, respond to it. Respond to it. Say, I believe, Lord. I believe. I believe. I believe your word. I believe what it says. Tell him. The Bible says you can be saved. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.